It's Carrie here, and I cannot wait to be back with you for season four of Mission Forward. We have such an awesome lineup of guests and conversations coming, all designed to help you learn the tools to be a communicator for change. Since we're a few weeks out from releasing this new series, I wanted to share a bonus episode with you today, featuring my friend and awesome communicator, Timothy Hikes. I had the opportunity to appear on Tim's show earlier this year, and we loved this conversation so much, he has agreed to let us share it with you, the Mission Forward community. Not only that, we will have him back on to keep this conversation going later this season. So stay tuned for this conversation, which first appeared on Tim's Unconference podcast. And I cannot wait to see you back here in a few weeks with new Mission Forward episodes. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with the lovely Carrie Fox, who is the founder and CEO of Mission Partners, a woman-owned strategic communication firm and certified B Corporation that guides high potential nonprofit foundation and socially responsible corporation realizing their greatest social impact. I really enjoyed my talk with Carrie because um, it's really sometimes difficult to find someone who can match your energy. And as you know, I am a very high energy individual. The conversation just flew off. I mean, we were conversing and we were jumping in, really talking about how we felt about communication and how it could change the world and how communication can enact people to do different things. The phrase I've been using a lot lately is if you say COVID-19 versus Chinese virus or Chinese coronavirus, the two have different meanings, even though it's talking about the same thing we were dealing with in this pandemic. And it enacts people to do different things. One talks about our current environment and what we're dealing with and the actual virus that we're dealing with. And the other one is really trying to point blame at a certain group of people for what happened. And that's not what we want. And so we talked about the power of communication and how it could change the world. And I'm excited for you to hear this. Welcome to Unconference, a design plus diversity podcast about diversity, design, and the marriage in between, where we will chat about design plus diversity and all the things related. Whether you are a designer or a design hobbyist in many of its adjacent or subfields, we're here to break down all of the details and solve the hard problems with you. I'm Tim Hikes. Ladies and gentlemen, I am happy to introduce you to the one and only Curry Fox. I am always super excited to bring different people with different perspective to the conference and to the podcast that you can hear from where we can all learn a little bit something different, especially in the area of expertise. So please help me welcome to the podcast, the one, the only Curry Fox, founder and CEO of Mission Partners. How are you, Carrie? Hi, Tim. I'm doing great. And I am going to try to turn on my best podcasting voice to match you, though I'm not sure I can I can meet you there. I am so thrilled to have this time with you today. <laughs> yes, bring on the podcasting voice. Where I want to start off first is I want to you to talk to the 
listeners about who you are, your organization, mission partners, the women-owned strategic communication firm. How did you get to this yeah. area? And we'll just go from there. Let's just vibe with the flow and go from there. Tell us all about it. You we want to learn everything. So my name is Carrie Fox. My pronouns are she and her. I'm coming to you today from right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. I am in social impact communications, and I'll get to that in a minute. But more importantly, when I think about who I am, I am a storyteller. I am a mom. I am a daughter. I am someone who loves to learn. I am a continuous learner, that is for sure, always asking questions. And often I am the one asking questions. So it's nice to be here with you in a different um, in a different place today. Um, but you mentioned, tell you a little bit about my organization. I run a firm called Mission Partners. We are a certified B Corporation, one of only a few women-owned certified B Corps in the world, which we're really proud of. We're also certified women-owned and actually an entirely women-led team. And we operate at a pretty interesting intersection of public relations, philanthropy, and policy. And I have always believed that communications has the power to change the world. And that really, when it comes down to it, every issue, every major issue in the world can be solved through communications. It's how we connect with one another just as much as it's how we push one another apart. And so that's always been my place of learning and interest and curiosity is how we create spaces that bring people together. Uh, I started my career in a very, very different way. I started in sports marketing and sports PR, serving as a spokesperson for now Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr., and then um, moved into agency world pretty early in my career and have have been um, running agencies since I was about 25, so um, so for quite some time. So, so my life has always been in creative spaces and doing the best I can to surround myself with people that I can really learn from and soak up information from and um, happy to tell you more as we get into awesome. it. Awesome. You know, that's so amazing to hear. Communication has the power to change the world because that's on a finer tip. That's what Design Plus Diversity is about. It's a conference that's delivering information, but on that, recognizing that how that information is delivered to people can invoke certain attitudes, certain perceptions. Uh, and an excellent example is saying COVID-19 versus mm -hmm. the Chinese virus. And that's an example that I would use now to show people where the way that you name things and how you communicate to people can invoke different things and can cause people into either positive action or negative action. So yeah, I'm happy to hear that. And it's, definitely going to be a new phrase that I use going forward. Communication has the power to change the world. And here's why. So let's jump into how did you get to this space where you're now running mission partners? What hit you one day that this is something that I need to do? You stated that you were running other firms. Where did that branch branch off in time to where, you know, this was the thing? Yeah. So you talk about storytelling and I'm going to tell you one. I talk about myself as a recovering publicist, that mm -hmm. I started my career telling stories for other people, right? Helping them build up their names, build up their organizations. And oftentimes it was for nonprofit organizations or individuals who had wonderful causes. And I felt really connected to those causes. But it became clear one day that the stories that I was telling, whether it was stories around or related to issues of 
homelessness or young people who were uh, in or aging out of the foster care system, that the stories I was telling were not by intention, but very much, I think, by design, because of the system that we were in, were reinforcing and perpetuating harmful white dominant narratives. And I didn't want Mm. to be part of it anymore. I woke up one day saying, I've become part of a machine that is using communications intended to help raise money and help advance missions. But at the end of the day, we're reinforcing and perpetuating the exact same issues that we are trying to solve. And said, I can't be part of that kind of communications process anymore. However, if communications has the power to change the world, we could use this tool in a different way, right? We could tell stories in a different way. We could tell stories through a strengths-based lens and through an asset-based lens where we are celebrating the power of community and the power of people rather than using communications to essentially hold people back, right? And and so, and you see so much of that in nonprofit and philanthropy communications. And so I've really dedicated so much of my career to helping organizations identify how and where first they might be perpetuating issues inside their own stories and then how they can reframe those stories to be able to truly advance issues of equity and diversity and inclusion. So how can organizations reframe those stories? What are some examples that you can share with us? And I'm not asking for if you have like a certain patented way of doing things. I'm not asking for the industry secret, but just giving our listeners some insight on ways that they could reframe stories that you have come to learn uh, to do so well. Yeah. So I think it starts so much when we're working with an organization, we ask them how close they really are to the subject, right? So are you telling stories about individuals in your community, but you don't actually have a lot of experience in community with those individuals, right? Um, How are we showing up in the communities that we are part of versus are we on the outside trying to tell a story and telling that story through a lens of trying to fundraise on an issue? So it starts first by having individuals and organizations. And again, a lot of my work is through the lens of nonprofit organizations. Um, But if we're thinking about individuals whose sole job it is, is to communicate, that could be through design, that that could be through words, to advance and move a mission forward. How are you doing that really authentically and directly with the community, not for the community? That could be very specifically Who's telling the story? Who's writing the blog? Who's creating the social media content? Is that individual directly connected to the community that you are talking about in this moment? Or is it someone who's who's telling someone's story on their behalf? And I think that's where mm. often you see a lot of disconnects happen in how we understand and connect with with issues. It's it's often when someone's trying to tell a story, not from a first person point of view, but often from mm. an outside point of view. That's a very good point. I can relate to that so well. I think about the story that my friend Dee tells me all the time, Dee Nichols, where she was after Katrina, they went down to basically build basketball courts in the community. And they were thinking they were solving this problem, trying to create an area for children to play. And the community members came in and asked them, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? This is not what we needed. So that goes into communication. They never talked to that community to ask them if this was what they needed and what they wanted. So they ran into huge pushback from that community. And in trying to tell this narrative that this is what the kids want, this is what this community need. And it wasn't what they needed at that time. 
one person in particular was a black guy who pointed towards my friend D because she was in a group of mainly white people. And he said, you out of all people should know better. So that led a different lens to where so number one, it's a story that you're telling yourselves and the story that they need. And then you, who should be able to identify mostly with this group of people, should know better because you should understand the story more than anybody. Mm, yeah. You know, you were talking early on about design, right? The power of design. There is design mm-hmm. in every decision we make, right? Whether designer mm-hmm. is in our title or not. And so often designer is not in my title. I am a CEO, I am working with organizations, I'm a consultant, social impact communications consultant, but everything we do is design. Everything we say is by design. And so we have to be really intentional about how, in a lot of cases, we redesign or rethink or reframe how we're talking about or sharing a story to be able to bridge those gaps and to be able to bring communities and and bring into even understanding or a clearer lens the issues that are in front of us. And then how we solve those, right? Yeah, this is a really important subject. And I'm happy we're talking about this right now because there's a lot of movement in the design community around communication. Just recently, Fast Article released an article basically questioned the phrase, how might we, because it focused on the people inside of the organization when it should be, you know, who should we be talking to? Who should we be bringing in to communicate? Yeah, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to really hone in on just thinking about communication differently, especially from the individuals who are doing this day in and day out, because you have, you're going to have special nuances and different things that I'm just not going to see or be cognizant of because of the landscape of the work that I'm doing. So I'm really happy that we're having this conversation today or conversing about it today. I want to jump into uh, something a little bit more personal. I want to know more about your struggles, things that you uh, struggle with as a business owner and how you move forward to solve these particular problems. One thing I'm cognizant of is you're being a woman that owns an organization in the space. And I could never understand what that's like Example of the tech industry with women that working in the tech industry, we men sometimes have talked down to them in such ways like, oh, they come like, oh, what is this variable? How can I learn more about this? I'm not understanding. And we'll say, oh, it's simple. It's easy. All things like that create huge struggles for women in tech, because now I've just said something that you're having difficulties with was easy and simple, not even thinking about your struggle and how I can help elevate you and get you to the same level. And I love asking people about their struggles because it brings a different dynamic to the conversation to really show this isn't just something that you can just go in 20 seconds and create a solution to. It takes lots of thought. It takes lots of hard work and dedication. And there is struggle behind this sometimes in order to get out the thing that you think is so wonderful. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's a great question. So I'll tell you two, and maybe they're how they've evolved over time. One of the struggles early on, you touched on it, uh, at least in part, that I started my agency very young. Before I had a lot of experience, I often say before I knew any better, right? If I waited 10 years, would I have started it? I don't know. But I had an idea and I wanted to run after it. And I remember really early on, I was in a board meeting or a board presentation and the board, I was doing the presenting to my client and the board chair leaned over to me and he said, Hey, sweetheart, it's so nice that you're here and that your boss invited you to come. And I said, I am the boss, sir. (laughs) Hi, I'm Carrie. I'll be doing the presentation today. 
And it was one of those moments, Tim, of like, I am going to show up for this work and I am going to blow this work away and I'm never going to stop. And so, you know, whereas that could have said to me, I'm not ready for this. I'm going to step back. Maybe I am too young. Maybe I don't have enough experience. Maybe someone's not going to take me seriously. It actually gave me more fuel to dig in, to be like, I am going to prove that I belong here. I'm going to prove that I know what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to what I know and stick to my values. And that's what I've done. And I've, I've really stuck really strongly to, I'm not going to play the party line in terms of how a lot of agencies think about the role that they play and, you know, doing this just to think about the bottom line and growing a business. I'm going to think about what it really takes to have communications be a tool that can be transformative for organizations and for society. So that, that to me was a, a struggle that I, I, um, Thankfully, don't have too much anymore because I, I, uh, I've learned to, I think, overcome that. But you know what? Where I am now is in a very different place where the struggle that I face now is much deeper and much more widespread in that I am a white woman working in a space that is dealing with issues of diversity and inclusion and equity. I am very aware of mm. the... Um, of the, the experience and the personality that I bring to this work. I mm-hmm. look so deeply at how white supremacy plays itself out in every facet of business, right? If we think about the role of capitalism, if we think about how that shows up in society, if we think about how we work in a, in a traditional uh, white dominant way, right? That I really want to challenge that. I want to challenge that in mm-hmm. how we run our business. I want to challenge it in how we work with our employees and our clients. And yet that's a, a struggle is to be able to do that at depth, knowing that some of those dominant norms are deeply, deeply ingrained inside our culture. Right. And so um, mm-hmm. it's a much, it's a much deeper issue than I know how to solve, but it is something that I feel so committed to wanting to dig into and to learn and to address in every way I can. Bill, that particular issue is something that's more prevalent that people can see now. But the question I always have is like, where to to start? Where do we start at? What nail do we need to hit first? I think back to some of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King said, that uh, the ones who are out in public and showing it to our faces are not the ones that we need to be afraid of or the ones that we need to fine tune into. It's the ones that hide not in public and behind closed doors. And I think that really is where a lot of the problems that are leading our society today, I think about this systematic problem. Even the idea that it's systematic, ingrained into our DNA, or can't even grasp that concept of how something that they're doing, that they're just used to, it's just ingrained. And I think... uh, it was best said at one of our conferences. I'm trying to think who said it, but basically, over time, we get used to what's happening and then just become something that we just figure this is just what happens. So if we think about the way that Blacks were killed, messaging and communicating around that, the first generation is screaming and marching in the streets. But the second situation, you know, it's kind of diluted more. And then generation after that, you get to the point to where 
it's just normal. Seeing people killed like this, oh, maybe they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So how do we keep that same emphasis or that same importance on the situation that the first generation had? I feel that we are currently now the first generation to try to tackle this issue. How do we continue to make sure that when we're long and gone, the generations afterwards are picking up the mantle and continuing the work that we start, yeah. that legacy of what yeah. we've done. It's true. And what we've got, uh, hopefully, in terms of the, the wind in our sails, is that there is a lot of change happening all around us, both at mm-hmm. policy levels, inside how business operates. Business knows they cannot do business as usual anymore, right? And, right. and whether it's part of the B Corp movement that I'm part of or the the general purpose-driven businesses who realize that they have to answer to their employees, not just to their shareholders anymore, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to help. But, uh, you know, obviously there is so much work and all we need people to do is start where they are, right? Start wherever yes. you are and take a step every day towards that envisioned future. My mind is starting to run and I'm starting to problem solve. <laughs> uh, and I'm stopping myself from doing that. Um, <laughs> let's jump back into your background and jump back to some of the things that you've learned and went to college for and how that has helped you today in your career. What are some things that are tools to you that were basically something that you didn't notice were going to be tools to you as you use in every day? I didn't know that having so I was Student Government Association president at Lincoln University and HBCU. Hey, me too. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know that that education and training would be pivotal in who I am today and how I'm able to lead people and talk to people and being able to be a storyteller on stage. So some things like that. What are some things that you just didn't think were going to be crucial to who you are today that are definitely crucial? Yeah. To yeah, care. I mean, for sure. You and I have that in common. I was also Student Government Association president at um, a Jesuit university called Loyola. Mm-hmm. I was the first first female um, SGA president in their history. Um, so that was a that was kind of a cool thing. Uh-huh. Um, so that for sure had an influence on how I thought about being part of uh, community and creating change. But I went to school and studied public relations. I then went on and and pursued an advanced degree in design, and I found that I really loved this combination of words and visuals Mm -hmm. and how they can work together and didn't know where my career was going to take me, but knew I wanted to be at the intersection of those two things. Um, But, you know, something that sticks with me from my undergrad was a philosophy class and how much I have leaned on stoicism Mm -hmm. and philosophy throughout my entire career, both in terms of how I run my business, right? That you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. Yes. Um, Realizing that as a business leader, there's no one to blame but myself, right? If I think about it, I'm not going to put the blame on my employees, but I'm going to hold myself accountable to it. So I have stuck so firmly to, you know, an elective class that I took in undergrad that has really really stuck with me how I think about, and and Loyola as a Jesuit university focuses on this idea of care for the whole person, cura personalis. So even that concept Mm -hmm. has stuck with me as I think about my role as a professional and and truly as a human, right? As I mm-hmm. try to show up every mm-hmm. day. It's it's crazy that you say that because now we're having we have so much more in common. I also took a philosophy class too in college. 
<laughs> oh, good goodness. And I can wear her too. And it's making a comeback, you know, with like, uh, I don't know, it seems like stoicism mm-hmm. is popping up again in a, in a, in a cultural way. Uh, yeah, let's continue. I want to ask you, you know, how can design represent a larger proper population of underrepresented individuals? But I want to ask you another question first. But no, I think I'll ask that question and then follow up with the other question, because I think that'll make a really good working segue into each other. Just thinking about it, how can design represent a larger population of underrepresented people? Some what I used to say in the past, like, do you believe in the power of uh, Pepsi from the Pepsi commercial? Remember when they were uh, marching in the street and she handed him yeah. the Pepsi and that just calmed everything right, down? Right. And, yeah. Right. Well, you know, I think it actually gets to something you mentioned earlier, which is something I really deeply believe, which is when it comes to communications, this might be a roundabout way of answering the question, but when it comes to communications, there's especially when an organization uh, or an individual is is um, trying to communicate about their organization or about their community, that there can often be a default mentality of saying, we know the solution. We're going to talk about how we are the, as the nonprofit, we are the hero in this community, right? The services we provide are so mission critical that you can support us. We know just what needs to happen to address this issue. Whereas the solution is really already there. It's always been there if you choose to see it, right? That, that especially in, an individ- in a community that has been historically undervalued, historically under-resourced, the people in that community have the solution. And I think you'll often see it show up in the art and the music and the culture that is already in that community. And so it's a matter of how... We use communications and design to amplify Mm -hmm. what is already there, right? To elevate what is already Mm -hmm. there. Using design and communication to elevate what's already there. That's deep. (laughs) (sighs) I've left you speechless. Um, Yeah, I mean, but... I really believe that. I think so much is right. It's like hidden in plain sight, uh-huh. right? For for so much of how we think about creating campaigns. And, and I think so many designers are really good at this. The really mm-hmm. good designers know how to do this well, right? That so much of it is about listening and then using what we've learned to be able to then transform or, or elevate what we find, right? Versus saying, we as a designer need to create this from whole cloth. We need to We need to create this. What we need to create is probably already right in front of us. Yeah. You know, the problem might be is that particular skill set is something that you don't learn in college. It's something that I feel you pick up outside of college and you need the time in order to really develop that. I don't think people recognize that once you start listening to people or putting your designs in front of other people who are not designers, you get a completely different message. You get completely different conversation. I talk to people about what does that feel? What is the feeling of this piece? Because that's the first thing someone is hit with, that initial feeling. And that ties into color Mm -hmm. science. That ties into the typefaces and stuff that you're using way before we start reading 
we're seeing all of this and that's what we're picking up. That's part of that visual communication alone with mm-hmm. the piece right. of actually communicating what it is. I, I like to say that we're visual communication scientists because that's literally what we're doing, understanding the science of communicating with one another. I love that. Mm. That's awesome. I'm turning into a poet now. (laughs) As we start to transition towards the end of the podcast, I want to pick your brain. So, ladies and gentlemen, just letting you guys know that this is not on a script that I sent for us to talk about, but I think these might be some topics that Carrie has some opinions on. Let's talk about the pay gap between men and women. And I feel that. So I've always had a strong opinion that organizations should not be afraid for their workers to talk about pay. And it should be more so discussing why someone is making more so that I understand skill sets or where I need to be in order to make that amount versus you just gave someone an amount because you felt like they should be paid more. What are your thoughts on the pay gap and what are your thoughts on like maybe possible solutions to help solve that issue, especially since Today, today in the design field, women are still making less than men. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think transparency in pay needs to take hold, and we're starting to see it. But I think that would start to solve so much of getting rid of this this mindset that all conversations about salary and pay happen behind closed doors. And instead, what would it look like if a company published their, and they can be ranges, right? I don't think we know, need to know exactly what you make and exactly what I make, but it should be known. What does a designer at this level inside an organization, what would the hiring salary be? What would the max salary be? What's the range inside there? And then what would it look Mm -hmm. like if I'm promoted to the next position? And what do I need to get there? That level of transparency is so far from the thinking of so many organizations versus if they could Mm. be more, quite honestly, public with how they think about their rationale for for pay, that would help a lot. I think it would also address the issues that we are seeing about, uh, and I'm thinking very specifically about Black women in the workplace, who are Mm -hmm. not just as women in the workplace, but also struggling significantly to say, I need to have pay equity and parity with my colleagues but so much of this happens behind closed doors. So mm. I am with you 100% that the more transparency we can bring to yeah. uh, the the salary process and whatever that, you know, whoever's behind the behind the big screen trying to, you know, crunch all those numbers, we should see more of that. We should understand more mm-hmm. of it. We should also understand more about what the executive team is making and how many times greater yes. that is than, you know, the individuals who are, just starting in, in their, in their careers in that company, right? How much of the, of the, um, uh, the dollars or the revenue inside a company is going to just a very small number of people versus being distributed mm-hmm. more equitably across the team. I agree. 100% carry for president. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm really just saying a lot of what we, we believe as, as B corporations, but you know, it's true. I look forward to the day that that becomes more common mm-hmm. among companies. Yeah. I really agree with there being a range. I can see how that could be beneficial, and I can see how that conversation yeah. worked out a little bit better. What are some tools do you think people could use in order to have talks about 
that pay gap, especially if they notice that there is a discrepancy with what I'm making versus the male counterpart. Sometimes I tell people that you don't have to burn bridges. Sometimes the bridges are not really there, but sometimes the bridges are so old that you might just have to leave it behind for a new area to live in, meaning finding a better job that represents you and your interests. Because if an organization is committed to paying people in such different ways, you might just have to seek another organization. Yeah. I have people who argue against that thought with me and it's like, oh, Tim, really like the organization. I want to stay at that. But do you like the practices? You know, are you saying that you're committed to those type of practices? You know, I work at an organization that's a great place to work 10 years in a row. And that's not the practices that we have here. And I couldn't think of working for an organization that's committed. And I'm saying committed as in they do this often and continuously. So if this is something that's ingrained in their DNA. They're committed to these practices, not looking to change them. What are some ways that you think people can have that talk or what are some things that you think they should do? Do you think they should also seek other employment if an organization is committed to continuing that cycle? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in that question. Um, and it's, it's obviously so different for everyone, right? There's a lot that, that an individual mm-hmm. needs to weigh in terms of how much they love their role and love their work versus how much... Um, pain or trauma that they are experiencing in that workplace. And if it's a place that an individual doesn't feel valued, doesn't feel heard, then as much as they love the work, maybe it's not the place, right? If they think about where they could be to translate the love of that work to someplace where they feel valued. And to me, it always comes back to value. Are you in an organization that sees you and hears you and is willing to listen when you say, I think I'm providing a lot of value to this organization. What could be the pathway for me to be able to increase my take-home pay? What could be the opportunity that I could increase my salary? And if you're in an organization that is not willing to have that open conversation with you, that is not willing to help make a plan, right? I I don't think we should expect that we're going to go sit down with our manager and say, I'm ready for this raise. Here's my proof. And your raise is going to come in your next paycheck. It would be amazing if it did. But if you had a conversation with your manager who was willing to hear you out and say, I hear you, I see you, I appreciate the work you are doing, I'm going to advocate for you so that over the next six months, we get you to where you want to be or really close to it. We're going to build a plan to help you get there. To me, that feels like it should be expected from a workplace who's willing to hear and listen and support and value its employees. Awesome. Awesome. I want us to end just giving the listeners a little more information about your organization, Mission Partners, because I don't think we, I kind of feel like we didn't talk about Mission Partners enough on the podcast. And I, I really want them to understand who who the organization is, type of work that the organization does. Yeah. And if they're looking to reach out type of things that they could reach out to the organization, you know, even just to find more, I tell people all the time that a conversation is worth a lot. You don't have to have anything in mind just to reach out to learn more. So let's talk a little bit more about mission partners. Yeah. Thank you. So we, we often work with organizations who are in moments of transition. That could be they're getting ready to release a new strategic plan, or they have a new executive team coming in, or they have to completely pivot and think differently about their strategy and what that looks like. 
Often that's the moment that mission partners comes in. And that could be, we're going to help you develop that strategic plan and then release it to the people who need to hear it. Or we're going to help you do a refresh of your brand. But even before we do that, we're going to listen really clearly to understand how your brand is even perceived in the market. So research is a big part of what we do. And then translating that research into the words and the visuals of that brand. Um, And a lot of times also, it's just around reputation management or crisis management or issues management. But often we sit at the table with that executive team to coach them and guide them as their partners through these critical moments of growth and change. And so our organizations are almost 100% nonprofits and foundations. We work with social impact uh, for-profit businesses, but it's a very small piece of what we do. We're really driven in that mission-driven, purpose-driven space. Um, and we've got an incredible team. As I mentioned, we are, um, we are women owned, women led. We've got offices, um, across the U S and in Montreal, and we operate at at this pretty cool intersection of traditional public relations, philanthropy, and supporting on fundraising and policy. And that's both in terms of internal policy and, and culture change, as well as how we impact and advocate for federal policy change. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today to speak to us. We spoke on a range of topics. I hope that people can understand why communication is so important and how it could really change the scope or the landscape of the thing. You know, it can turn turn negative to positive. It just really depends on that execution, how you execute it, and talking with experts like Carrie, who can help you lead that discussion or communicate more effectively, I think is a better way to say it. Communications has the power to change the world, right? Power to change the world. Communication has the power to change the world. If people wanted to reach out and talk to uh, your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So our website is mission.partners. You can get me, Carrie, at mission.partners or on LinkedIn, it's uh, Carrie Fox PR. There we go. So ladies and gentlemen, please reach out to Carrie and not me because I know how you like to send me emails. I have too many already. And this ends our episode of the Unconference Podcast by Design Plus Diversity. Thank you so much for being here today, Carrie. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Carrie, so much. I really appreciate you today. Thanks so much. And that is it for Unconference. Please subscribe to Unconference wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss a single moment. And give us a five-star rating and review. You can also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Unconference Podcast. You can also follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at Timothy Hikes. And then you can follow the conference at designplusdiversity.com. That's designplusplusdiversity.com. Thank you.